The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What's going on, everybody? Uh, bienvenue. Welcome back. Uh, you guys know that I usually give you a moment to come into the room, but uh, at the risk of being topical, I'm going to create some urgency for you today on this show. So hurry the hell up Let's and get into learning mode. What's going on, Ross? I'm going to introduce my man here in a minute. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and launch this one a little bit early too, just so you guys can take advantage of it when you're coming into the room. Uh, take advantage of this right here. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to Sell Better by JB Sales, the daily sales show where we give you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Simple, easy, right? It's not overly complicated. Change your chat settings down in the bottom right to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. A shout out to Kirsten Woodbury. You wow, we should do it. Yeah, she's so fast, man. I never beat her. She's so quick. Uh, Emporio, what's going on? Atlanta, San Francisco, Toronto, my Canadians in the house. <laughs> That's you, my man. Boston, Mass, San Francisco, one more time. Ukraine, hey, we love you, Ukraine. Thank you for coming. What time is it in Ukraine right now? That's crazy. We're here to talk about how top reps are driving urgency right now and let me introduce somebody to you right now i am your host james say what sales buckley today we are joined by mr ross rich ceo at accord uh ross let's talk about the elephant in the room really quick how is the recent bank activity impacting the level of urgency that ceos and leaders have for spending and and investing right now hopefully it's not a sore subject for too many folks in the room but what do you think pal I would say lowering the sense of urgency to make spend decisions for CEOs and C-suite, I'd say be conscious of the last, you know, 72 plus hours. Uh, think showing your understanding, you know, showing your understanding of how, what life is like for someone is a great way um, to drive urgency, to build trust. And, you know, we had a bunch of big stakeholder meetings scheduled for Thursday, Friday, early this week. And, you know, we're saying like, hey, totally understand being proactive, let's move this to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Let's not risk getting ghosted and put them in a position to have to change it. Let's be proactive around there. Hey, there you're dealing with this stuff and take another couple of days. How does Wednesday or Thursday look or Friday morning and making sure you keep those executive stakeholder conversations on the calendar. Um, but, you know, kind of understand where, where people have been at. So empathy man we talk about it a lot that's a great way to leverage empathy before we get started if you're looking to level up in 2023 we have got you covered sell better now offering a membership with instant access to our training and resources so go ahead and scan that qr code on your screen you guys know we love to drop fire in the chat stuff that you can take advantage of that's going to help you level up right away today i am inviting you to our show tomorrow with adrian and arthur of chili piper and natalie of nevatic we're going to talk in detail about how to collaborate with marketers. Too many marketers and salespeople are at odds. This is ridiculous. Stop this madness. Start working together to win more deals. So I'm dropping the link in the chat. Join us tomorrow. If you're a marketer, join us. If you're a salesperson, join us, right? It's about both of you. Uh, so go ahead and sign up for that one. Let me go ahead and get us back up and run in here. This is going to be a great tactical episode. I hope you guys are ready to take lots of notes. I want to give a big thank you to Zoom Info. Without these folks, we couldn't do this show. Thank you for sponsoring today and making this episode possible. We like to tailor these conversations to the folks that are in the room. So if you can look and take care of that uh, question that we have there, what are you? Are you an SDR? Are you, what are you? If you're an alien, just go ahead and write it in the chat. I'm an alien. Uh, let me tell you what you're going to get today. You're going to get some quick wins and how to get closer to quota faster. Some of you are going to have your eyes open by Ross here. Uh, tips to get unstuck deals going again. 
or stuck deals going again. And then strategies for closing now and setting up for Q2. That's an important piece as we move to Q2. Uh, so let's get into it really quick. Some people, you've never even known that this is a thing. Uh, but I want to talk about fast-moving pipe and slow-moving pipe. How do we work both at the same time effectively, Ross? Yeah, so when I think about fast-moving pipeline, slow-moving pipeline, I always think about where is, and I always think about from my customer's perspective, where's my customer in the journey? Fast-moving pipeline, they're educated, they likely have budget, they want to make a decision. Slow-moving pipeline, education-phased, maybe they don't even know how to describe their problem, they're feeling some pain, maybe they're referred to you, their learning mode. Fast moving pipeline closes, slow moving pipeline does not close now. So if you're thinking about end of this month, Q2, or sorry, Q1, um, think about who's, who's gonna make decisions now objectively based on what they're doing, what they're saying, and you need to handle those different, um, those different conversations uh, in a very unique uh, way. Yeah. Yeah, no surprises here. There's a lot of account executives in the room and you talk about being proactive with your fast moving pipeline. What's yeah. an example of a proactive approach that you would take with a fast moving pipeline, but then on the slow moving pipeline side, maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't take that step. You might be a little more tactical. Yeah. Fast moving pipeline, they're making a decision. They're probably talking to multiple vendors. I want to be proactive. I want to get to as many stakeholders as early as possible as I can and as senior as possible as I can, because maybe they were looped into conversations with competitors early on. You're not going to get that win if they're talking to the CEO, CRO, and you're not. Um, so I think about stakeholders. I think about daily touches. How can I get creative in terms of adding value daily to both my champion as well as other stakeholders that I'm going to try to get in touch with? And how do I get closer? How do I get on the text relationship? How do I, you know, am I engaging with their content on LinkedIn? How do I become buddies with them, build that trust so they can go with you and feel better about maybe paying a few more dollars for your service or solution instead of a competitor because you put in the work and you want to do business with them and they're not going to regret that decision. So that's how I think about being super proactive on fast moving pipeline. I'm not going to lose to a competitor because of my deal execution. Good tactical stuff right there. I like the text technique as well. I try to get on text basis with people as often as possible. So I've gotten into this habit of being like, is this your cell? Can I save this number? Almost everybody's like, yeah, go ahead. So then I'm just like texting, hey, it's James, save my number. Right. <laughs> That's such an easy way to get that urgency. And then you can start, you like earn the right yeah. to send something. So let's talk a little bit about uh quick tip on that actually, because a lot of people ask me this question all the time when I mentioned that. Yeah, go. The way that I find it easiest to get on text relationship with someone, especially if you're a bit, you know, you're anxious, you're maybe a newer sales rep or you're uh -huh. an enterprise seller and you're selling to, you know, C suite, what I do is if you need to touch base with someone, like this also helps set up more meetings, more touch points with them. Hey, want to sync after that call or hey, I have some feedback on you know the thing we're talking about. Want to jump on for five minutes this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Here's my number. Hmm. I like this. I like this part where you're like, here's my number because we actively preach against sending emails that use the words touching base, checking in, following up. These are so over. Yeah, you don't want to do it over email. You want to yeah. do that over a call. Yeah, right. Right. And I like that you're like, here's my number. Uh, I call this the reverse cold call, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> you're always calling me. Yeah. They don't want to waste, like, hey, to avoid scheduling a meeting later next week, whatever, sure, Tyler's busy. Let's just, you know, let's, let's sync up five minutes after your workday today or before tomorrow. Right. You know, right. get into that calendar. Hell, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's an inherent sense of urgency built into calls because they're supposed to be short. I don't have too much time is kind of the nature of that call. Let's talk about strategy, though. 
uh, with fast moving pipelines specifically, because this is where people can get closer to quota fast when they start recognizing this. And uh, these are the two that I want to talk about that are on screen, but there are others here and you gave these two tips. So talk about these, why would people do these? And then we'll give you some actual things that you can ask your managers as well. Yeah, I think of two reasons here. One, just first distinguishing what are deals that are actually going to close and what are people that might be interested that you need to build the relationship with over time. And it's hard to get that because I might be talking to James, obviously James, high energy guy, probably is going to be excited. If he's spending time talking to you, he's going to be you know interested. He's not going to waste his time right. and feel like a deal now. But objectively is what he's saying to me and how he's acting is that fast moving pipeline? Is he looping in other stakeholders? Is this even a project currently that's getting resourced? And that's something that's really hard to tell when you're living it, when you're on the moment in a call or engaged in an opportunity. And that's where checking in with peers and having asking questions around what is the risk. And this is stuff that only the best reps do. People don't want to know what the risk is in the deals because they're afraid of the no's and they want the maybes and they want the yeses. And that's where when it comes to you know checking in with your manager or peers that you respect, asking some of these questions are super helpful. And a lot of the times the right answer might be, hey, this isn't even an opportunity. This is slow moving pipeline. Yes, they're interested. Yes, it's a great customer. Yes, it's a great persona that we're talking to, but they're not buying it. And this will really help you make sure you spend the right time on the right deals. Yo, I am a victim. I've said it before. I said it in my content. I'm very open about it. I'm a victim of happy years. If somebody is amped to talk to me, I'm like, oh, this is a good thing. We've got momentum here. Uh, but you said this is common for salespeople to suffer from this uh, ailment, if you will. And you said it's important as you move through and grow as a professional that you know when to recognize when someone is not a buyer. How do you learn how to spot this flag so that you can stop trying to create urgency where there is none and wasting your time with people that aren't buyers anyway? Yeah, I always, and I try to get my reps to do this, is you want to actively disqualify deals early, which is very counterintuitive. It's like having a high price. People think you're a premium. It's if you're confident about your offering and who you help and how you help them, it becomes this premium and there's urgency to it. Mm -hmm. So for example, what that sounds like is, hey, James, at Accord, we help sales organizations and reps, you know, bring more consistency and repeatability to their sales process and win more deals. These are typically the customers we work with. They have, you know, it is mid-market, it is enterprise, it's not transactional, it's not sub 10, 20K deals. If that's what you're working on, hey, happy to have this conversation, share with you what we've been seeing in the industry, but that's not new, all good. And so you're basically, you're disqualifying, you're asking the reverse, you're not saying, hey, are you selling mid-market and enterprises? The opposite, hey, if you're not, we're not here for you. And if you're not focused on the execution and outcomes with customers, that's not us. And that's what I help find drives a lot of urgency because they're suddenly like, oh, you're not pitching me. You know exactly who you've helped. So I'm going to trust you more and invest the time with you. Do you so I, I want to pause here for a moment. I just want to put a magnifying glass over this, you know, completely unscripted because I want to put you on the spot and create that level of urgency in you. How do we get people over the hump? A account executives are really good at being like, mm. should I create an opportunity for this? But it takes a long time for SDRs to realize that they can get there faster with the right language. So just give some some juxtaposition or some differences between those two roles and how they can figure out the level of urgency in good conversational skills. Uh, because I know that you focus on SDR and an E. Well, an SDR creates 
I shouldn't say that. An SDR uncovers and drives urgency a little bit differently than an account executive. And I feel like it's a difficult thing to pass to an AE from an SDR without being like, yo, this person is moving fast. And that AE being like, yeah, right. Right. And like completely discrediting it. So that same level of urgency is not carried over. Or it's like, yo, I, this was a great call, uh, very little discovery, uh, hope it goes well. And it's like, that's it. And they get on the call and this person is like, I need this solved like yesterday. And my exa- account executives are like, yo, what the F, man? Like, you didn't tell me that this was going to be a banger. Like, I need that information. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it's almost impossible at that early stage to have any sort of confidence around it. And that's where I think, you know, you, you create luck by just more conversations and, and putting in the time to, and treating everyone like it could be that. And I think that's where you see a lot of AEs get lazy, SDRs finding out there, creating these opportunities, right? That's their job is to go into the market and identify top personas and companies that might be interested based on their understanding of current users and the, and the problems that you help solve. Where is that? And it's the AE's job to take that and to turn that into something. And and I think that a lot of them go into those conversations thinking it's like that first call. And you just got to assume there's potentially gold. Like That's like, I think the best sellers, right? Is like, you go into every conversation being like, this could be my biggest deal of the month, the biggest deal of the quarter. You never know when that bluebird is going to come and a person ready to buy. Uh, so that's how that's how I always approached it as as a top rep. Uh, I, you know, you almost feel like in the modern sales economy, especially with the um, uh, predictable revenue model being what it is, you know, so popular. There's almost a level of like, should account executives just start starting conversations with before we get started? Is there a level of urgency behind this conversation, or are we exploring? Right, <laughs> like. Maybe that's well, a good way. <laughs> well, there's a way to ask that. I mean, I have all of our reps when they ever start a conversation, especially if it's inbound or even take another call is like, hey, why are you spending? Everyone's so busy. Everyone needs to be doing a million things right now. Why are yeah. you on this call right now? Right. That is the best first question you could ask someone is, you know, you know what I'm doing on this call. I'm trying to sell you some shit and hit my quota. Why are you on this call? As someone who has a job on top of potentially evaluating spending money here, especially in this economy, like why, what are you focused on? What impact does this have? Were you asked to come on this call? Were you just doing some research? Do you have this yeah. problem? You're looking at three other vendors right now. And it's so crazy that people get into this pitch and, and disco before they even ask the person, why are you even, why are we even talking to that? Right. Right. Uh, let me know in the chat, what role did you have as a sales professional before you realized, when you realized you manage multiple pipelines. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask this question for you guys. Uh, I want to know how many of you, and it's a simple, true or false, do you use a mutual plan for everything? And my man, I'm going to pass it to you to talk about all the things that mutual plans can accomplish when they are executed appropriately. Yeah. Mutual plans, I think first thing, so maybe to define mutual plan. Mutual plans is basically take what's in your mind around how to close this deal and share with the customer. Think about your CRM stages and all that stuff and put it in the mind of the customer and share with them. They probably haven't bought in your Accord before or your Sell Better by JB Sales or your whatever it is. Yeah. Help them understand, hey, if you if we were to go through this together, what would it look like? And that's usually the first question as a buyer now, as CBO, I'm purchasing and involved in the purchasing of a lot of software and services. I don't know how the heck to buy Vanta, the SOC 2 thing or whatever. I haven't done it before. I want someone to explain it to me and that's who I'm going to use. 
because you're going to make it easy for me. So what a virtual plan is basically shared workspace between a buyer and seller to align on going from initial interest to purchase to success. Um, and why, and, and I think the number one job is to disqualify deals, to disqualify either bad opportunities or very slow moving pipeline and to qualify things that are driving forward right now and to make sure you can bring that conversation over in today to the close and then getting to successful as fast as possible. I, I want to draw that line for everybody one more time because when you line this out for me, it was a very clear path and I think sometimes we get lost on it. So you have to get this person excited about it that's below the line and then you have to reach above the line to a point where you can validate the value to get them to say yes to purchasing so that they will have a successful onboarding. That path is so clear in our minds, but notice a few things that it's not. It's not the internal Salesforce stages. And you said this, and I really want to talk about it because we look at our sales cycle in the form of stages. One in the chat, if you look at your sales cycle in the form of three to five different stages, let me know. One in the chat, if that's you as well. Yeah, lots of ones coming in. Look at that. Okay, so talk to me about how we can see our internal stages, but not make that our sales cycle for our customers. Yeah, and that's where I think using why using mutual plan even earlier that people think is really important. It frames the process from you being really focused on your own outcomes to the customer outcomes, and that's what drives urgency, right? This whole discussion we're having today is like what drives deals forward. Your Eric. your deal process, your product, your features, or anything does not drive deals faster. What drives deals faster are executive level outcomes that the company has. This is in their strategic annual planning. This is in their quarterly plans. This is the OKRs that only leaders know. And that's what drives deals forward. Nothing else will drive a decision at a company other than what someone with a C before their title or potentially an SVP or VP has. Everyone else is doing the work for those people. Everyone else is trying to ladder up the work that they're doing to hit one of those goals. And that's, you know, that's what I have my team focus on and why mutual plans are so important because you're aligning around what those outcomes are. How do we get there as fast as possible? Mm. So, so I, I hear you with the mutual plan and we hear this phrase a lot. It's thrown around quite a bit. Here are, we want to give you these three questions. These came from Ross here. These three questions are questions you should ask when you're devising your, your mutual plan. And it looks like Many people create a mutual plan, but it kind of depends on the deal. Uh, would you recommend that that be the case? Or would you say creating a mutual plan for every deal would, would create a good habit? Yeah, it's all, I mean, sales, right? It's all about habits. We talk a lot about this, why, you know, it's compared to sports so much, right? It's not, it's, it's the habits that, that build the muscle. So then you don't have to think about that thing and you can be present with the customer. Yeah. This is something that took me a long time to realize, right? Like I didn't want a script. I didn't want this template. I didn't want this thing. I just wanted to be there present with the customer. But what slows you down is having to do all those other things. If that is muscle memory and you don't have to think about that stuff, you could be there with the customer doing the right thing every time and get creative with them. If you have that habit of doing the right thing and, you know, like, like having those questions, boom, every time I get on a call, hey, before we wrap this up, I know we chatted about these next steps and this thing is your initiative. Who's going to, you know, who's going to walk this thing? Who's going to say, how do we get ahead of that? Hey, this is what I heard you say. What else did I miss? Um, in terms of what's important here, like, like always be doing the opposite and it takes a long time for reps to have the confidence to, to do that kind of stuff and ask those questions. 
I think there's some value in being able to come to them with solutions when you ask those questions. If somebody says, oh yeah, Rick over here has got an existing relationship with one of your competitors. He's probably going to be a blocker. You can then send the mutual plan that includes how we're going to help Rick see the light when it comes to our product over this competitor that he has a relationship with. That'll be part of the mutual plan. Right? Yeah. Or Yeah, exactly. Or send them another. This is a perfect opportunity to multi-thread, you know. Ah, hey, hey, Rick. Was chatting with your team. Sounds like you know you're looking at a competitor of ours. A lot of respect for them. They're great in certain cases, and maybe give a couple examples. We help here. It sounds like this is what you're focused on, right? Want to make sure you know before this gets to final decision moving forward. Let's let's talk through that. And if it ends up making sense for this to you know whatever, I'll bow out, and you guys should definitely use them. Like, how do you make sure again, like everyone's talking about, like the mutual alignments between mm. both sides? And people get so caught up in sell, sell, sell versus like, what is the customer actually saying to us? Because that's where, again, urgency comes from the customer. There's no pitch, yeah. there's no perfect way of framing something without their feedback that's going to get the deal to, to move forward. Yeah. You know, we also talked about putting it on them in a way that is quantified because if you attach a loss to that, it's definitely more meaningful to them. And before we move forward with this, I want to talk to you about what we do when people agree to the mutual plan. And then in that top right, you'll see that ghost. They're like, yeah, sure, Ross, this sounds amazing. And then like a fart in the wind gone. How do we stop people from doing this? What do, what do we do when it happens? Yeah, the, the number one reason that happens is because you are still pitching them the thing. It is not mutual. You are, hey, this is what I think makes sense next. This is how people do it, blah, 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 blah. Does that sound good, Jade? Your customer is just going to do the, the path of least resistance. Sure, yeah, that sounds great. Or, hey, yeah, let me bring this back to, you know, to James and Sue internally, and then I'll get back to you on it. But yeah, sounds good. Then you don't hear from them. No. Or... Have the hard conversation. Someone just put this in the chat, you know, yeses are great. I can handle those, but maybes will kill you. That's what's going to kill you if you're not getting the, and don't be afraid of it. Hey, this is what it takes to do the thing. Totally fine. If you're just exploring, let me know. I'll send you some resources that we won't set up another call. But if you, if you're serious about this, this is what we need to do and get them to commit and get them to give you that feedback. And then they're bought in. There's this social pressure that gets created when they're contributing to a plan together. But if it's your closed plan, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's a mutual plan just because uh, just because you have a doc or a sheet or something that you're you're asking them to commit to. Oh, no, they filled out that form. It's definitely going to close. Right? <laughs> we hear this stuff all the time, right? I'm guilty. We're all guilty. It's okay. Nobody take offense, right? No, that's not me. Yes, it is. We're all that way. Uh, okay, so I have to pivot to this because when I said this, your response kind of took me back. I didn't, I didn't expect this response. What I asked you was, how do we unstick a stuck deal? And you responded with this comparison. And what you said was, the best reps that you know have a small pipeline, the smallest pipeline. Now, I only want to point it out because one of the things that we think and that we say all the time is a big fat pipeline solves most of our problems. This is true, but you stand on the other side of the fence to a degree I, I want you to defend this. I have to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Qualified pipeline solves every problem. Oh, all right. This is good. And Go ahead. This is where, oh, this is when I see the biggest difference, right? Is like, you know, those reps that are getting ghosted, those reps that don't have quite that engagement, they're not texting with their cusp. Like, yes, there's pipeline, there's potential deals there, mm. but 
you can only put so much effort and be, you know, tab 10 out of 10 execution and actually build mutual plans with the customers that do all this great stuff we're talking about if it's focused and on the right customers. And how do you move those other people out and actually gain trust with the people not willing to make this, not ready to make decisions today and have that come in for Q2, have that come in for Q3 or Q4 when they're ready and engage. This happens to me all the time because I treat my customers with respect and empathy and say, hey, let me educate. I'm going to spend this call. You're not ready to buy. We just have this conversation. You're learning about this stuff. Let me educate you and share what other people have learned for 20 minutes. You're, I'm going to be the first person you call when you're ready to buy. And you're not even going to look at competitors. And that's the kind of pipeline I want is people come to me to buy and I'm pushing out and adding value in the way that they uniquely need at that moment. And that's what I see for the best sellers. They don't try to pitch people who aren't ready to buy and they go ham when it's an opportunity that's a potentially competitive situation where budget is going to be spent. And that's that's why I think the best sellers are the smallest pipeline. All right. I I want to say thank you for defending your position and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to launch this while I talk about this. This is the question. How often do you feel like you're being too pushy? I want to first say that I agree with everything that you just said, Ross, uh, but I want to give your language to everyone in the room so that they can understand the mind shift. Sometimes you are working deals. Deals come with a natural sense of urgency because you are solving a problem that is costly and will impact the business directly that you're selling to. Sometimes you are working leads. These are interested parties that aren't moving fast enough to be considered a deal yet. So that's a difference I want to paint a picture for. Russ, tell me if I'm on point with that mind mind frame. A hundred percent. And there's and not there's nothing wrong with working leads. You need to turn it into deals. Right. And again, it's if you tr- mistreat them, if you treat them like deals, yes, it's going to feel pushy. You're not meeting them where they are. And yes, there's ways to turn leads into deals and not just wait. I'm not saying be reactive. Oh, just wait for them to converse. Hey, I might be talking to, you know, a sales manager. Typically, it takes, a, you know, a CRO or VP of sales to buy a cord, uh, but I might be talking to a manager. To me, that's a lead. To me, that's a contact. That's not an opportunity or a deal. How do I turn that into a deal? Hey, maybe I hit up four people at the organization. Hey, I just spoke to James. Sounds like, you know, he's an all-star thinking about your level, executive level initiatives around driving deal velocity and momentum around using mutual plans at the cord. Any chance that this is a, a strategic priority for you guys right now? It sounded like it was, you know, hit this focus, if not, I'll do it. I turn that lead into an opportunity that I'm treating that differently. I'm not going to you and, and trying to close the deal through you. Whereas maybe you're a different persona. You're the VP of sales. Okay, now maybe it's a deal because this person has budget or can create budget and it totally changes the game there. And, and I think people just get excited about the right company or, you know, whatever role I'm going to try to close this. It's a deal. It's not. And that's why. Again, I hated these frameworks. I hated the structure of sales before when I was a rep and it took me a while to get it. It's for you. It's it's for you. It's not just for leadership and management, but it's pitched that way to teams, I think. And and um yeah, it takes a while to and, and some hard lost waste waste of time with some below the line people or, you know, some lost deals to really learn that lesson. I, I, this is such an important conversation. Uh, yes, <laughs> you sound like my CFO, James. <laughs> I understand. There's so many different pieces of this. We get told that if we schedule a meeting, we need to create an opportunity. Well, that meeting doesn't necessarily equal opportunity. So we end up with a higher closed loss ratio than closed one ratio, and that looks real bad for us, right? 
there's some uh, balance and some qualification and discovery that has to take place. And if we look at these results here, you can see a lot of people actually agree. But I do notice that over half of you are saying, I feel pushy when I have to be. I don't think you should ever have to be pushy. And if you are, I would suggest that you stop pushing people into making a decision that they don't really want to make because oftentimes they churn. Ross, do you agree? Um, yeah, I mean, it's harder to even close them and, and it doesn't feel great, right? It's like, I'd rather be spending time at top of funnel, creating a new opportunity or a lead than forcing a deal that doesn't make sense. And, and mm. what it reminds me of is like, once you're in, once you're like two quarters, three quarters, four quarters, a couple of years into your role at a company, you start to see the benefits of that. Those are the deals that come in. That's what makes a top rep be at constantly, you know, plus a hundred percent of quota or 200% of quota. It's because those things start paying off over time. And it's it's something that it takes a while again to learn and to see those things pay off. Um, and and it's something I don't think a lot of people even get to in their sales career because you're so focused on that, that month, on every person I talk to meets to convert and squeezing it out of that. And that's it's not what leads to, you know, again, if you're focused on customer outcomes, that's the that's the lens that I'd always try to use it to teach reps. Focusing on customer outcomes. Notice they're not your outcomes. Once again, we're not making it our sales cycle. We're making it their buying cycle, right? This is the difference in driving urgency and trying to sell some stuff. <laughs> That's not the same experience. Uh, I popped open the chat here and I saw uh, Katie won a big deal, but the customer told her that they were the only company that continued to follow up. I'm noticing here that you said you continued to follow up. Later, you say here in the chat, wasn't necessarily being pushy. There's a difference in being a professionally persistent and being a pushy sales rep. And I think you can be a professional persistent sales rep, professionally persistent. Um, I want to talk about multi-threading because you brought it up really fast, but I kind of want you to hover over it and just break this down for us. Because when I said, tell me about multi-threading and how it creates urgency, why people should use it, you were like, here are my tips. And you rattled these off like no big deal. Yeah. Um, deals, especially today in 2023, are only getting done by consensus and by senior leadership. And that's typically not who you're starting the conversation off with. A lot of CEOs like myself and VPs of sales or whoever it is, aren't spending a lot of time with SDRs and AEs at the start of deals. They're being asked to drive a strategic initiative. Sorry, my dog's jumping in here. Um, they're being asked to drive a strategic initiative and get some sort of outcome. Um, but they're not going to be leading the conversation. So when I when we have a we have a great opportunity, I always talk to my rep. Okay, great. You're talking to this company. It sounds like the focus on this. There are ICP all this stuff. This is not the decision maker. How can we as early as possible build a business case um, with with the right people? And the person you're talking to, you know, I'm sure they're a great person. They don't even have the input to build that business case with. If they're not in the meeting in the strategic planning meetings. They don't like didn't even know the metrics that you need to tie and create urgency from. So hit up the three or four personas that you know are going to be interested. Make sure you're mapping internally who should be reaching out to them. Maybe it's not you. Maybe as an AE, the CEO doesn't want to hear from you, no offense. Uh, I send out probably almost as many notes from our, my executive leadership team at Stripe as they did for myself on Deans because I know that they don't want to hear from me and they want to hear from our executive team. And your executive team is going to you know, bend over backwards to jump on those calls and be super impressed. So that's what I think about. Get broad, get the senior as possible, do it often and early in deals. And you're going to also be a rock star eternally sending these notes, you know, drafting up notes for your CEO and executive team. And they're going to be like, wow, you know, James is 
James is incredible. He's be, you know, he's writing notes for me to the CEO of these companies and they're responding. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think. Of. Uh, it's good. It's good. Actionable stuff. Remember that you guys can take this stuff away and start doing it right away. That's the whole point of this show. Uh, I want to put two opposing forces in front of you again. Put a one in the chat if you've ever heard the best salespeople don't sell. Put a one in the chat if you've ever heard that phrase. I've said it. Lots of people have said it. I've been hearing it for years. The best salespeople don't sell. Now, put a two in the chat if you've ever heard the best sellers control the deal start to finish. The best sellers control the deal start to finish. I get labeled as a control freak all the time, especially in my house, as a sales professional. How do we know when to be which? How do we know when the time to control the deal is and really push for next steps and next stages, um, evolution of the deal, so to speak, and when to realize that I need to take a step back here and not sell this person. It belongs more in my pipeline and less in my forecast. Yeah, this is where like philosophically, I think is the biggest difference between the top, you know, 10% reps, the one every 10 reps and the rest is you're not, you're selling and you're not selling. The best reps put themselves on the side of the table of the customer and ask themselves, is this actually going to help them hit their goals? Is this a fit, you know, am I just, am I just trying to get this deal or this thing converted and I'm not excited about it? There's no outcome here. Or is there really an opportunity for this customer to get benefit from my product? And then what you do during the sales process is you act as a third-party member of their team, as a consultant mm. to get the thing out. That doesn't mean you're not proactive. That doesn't mean you don't own the project. That's your job is to be proactive and to own the product for them. That's what's going to lower the barrier and create the urgency and make the lower risk decision for them. But if it's coming from this pushiness, this selling them, this pitching them constantly versus saying, you've told me four times that you need to go from 20 mil to 40 mil next year and your close rates are 20% or 15%. I need to get that to 25 to 30%. I'm here to help. We can literally do that thing for you. I'm going to follow up 100 times. I'm going to call your cell phone 17 times. I'm going to hit up four other stakeholders in your company. Be like, I spoke to James and it sounds like this is the initiative that really matters. I'm We're here to literally do this thing for your type of company. There's five other companies that we've done it for. And we please help you. And it doesn't feel like sales to me. That feels like you're there for them. And yes, you get money in exchange for that. Um, so that's how I think about the difference between being proactive and owning the deal and being aligned to you know, selling and not really selling. I, I like telling people up front I'm persistent. And the way that I do it is I say, you couldn't ignore me if you tried, man. Like uh, It's really hard to ignore me. And I tell people this openly so that they're not surprised when I come back into the frame and I'm like, yo, you said this. Are we still moving this forward? Like, What are we doing? Can you let me know where we're at? Uh, what's the update, right? Like you can hit them in small ways. What's the update on the project that you're doing, not my thing. Right, it's not my thing. Like, what's the update? How's it going? <laughs> yeah, you, you told me you need to do this thing. What are you guys investing in? And this is another great phrase to use if we're getting tactical. What what did you decide to invest in to hit this goal? Because that goal didn't go away. The goal didn't go away. It was something else. Hey, what did you guys decide was a higher priority than this thing? Is this just a timing thing or did you do, invest in something else? And then when they bring up budget, because something needs to get done, something needs to be invested in to move a business forward. So, so you bring up two things in an acronym that's commonly used, and it's the BANT method. You brought up the B for budget and the T for timeline. How do sellers use timelines earlier to be able to leverage urgency when it's called for? Don't put a level of urgency in front of a salesperson and then expect them not to react accordingly, right? 
Yeah, and a lot of time this goes down to this comes back to I think one of the biggest missing pieces I think in earlier in earlier stage sellers is the stakeholder understanding. And you can't get banned. You can't get any information on a deal from someone who is not a senior director, a VP, or a C-suite. They are potential champions. They understand the problem, how it affects, impacts the business at the end of the day in terms of the end users. But they don't understand. VPs and C-levels, they create budget. Budget doesn't matter. They, they, oh, we need to do this thing because it impacts our company-level priority? Done. <laughs> whatever, whatever. It, it just... Budget is a thing that the, these more junior people are given to feel some sort of ownership and have some repeatability in their business. Yeah. Um, so when I hear, you know, authority, budget, timeline, all this stuff, those are things that you can create in a deal through the right stakeholders, through understanding their business and create urgency with all of that stuff. When you're like, oh, oh, their timeline is Q3. Oh, why? If they have this problem and needs to get solved, if we could help them solve it earlier, an executive would be down to do that thing. Yeah. And that's where you need to not be afraid to go to senior people, to use your executives to have those conversations, to understand the metrics they're trying to move and business outcomes they're trying to grant, instead of just selling your thing. And that's going to really unlock, I think, a lot of stuff for for sellers out there listening. Now, we say this a lot. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for sharing all your wisdom. But uh, one of the things that I know salespeople believe, especially more junior salespeople, is that the goal is to get deals over the finish line. And oftentimes we've said that it's very tempting to go to the dark side and start proactively discounting so that you can get deals over the finish line. But this is not the same as creating or driving or uncovering any sense of urgency. This is a sales technique that we feel takes value away from your product or service right out of the gate. And it kind of gives you that slimy car salesman feeling that we're all trying to avoid. Tell me, why shouldn't salespeople go to discounting other than the reasons I just labeled for us? I think discounting at the very, very, very end of a deal when literally there is a certain budget and you're stuck with a certain stakeholder, it's a competitive situation, you're just out of the ballpark, makes sense. Mm. Anything before that final, final, final call when it's been brought up to all the right people it diminishes the value, the perceived value of your product. And this is what I think people do not understand. And they would, they would discount less if they understood psychologically. Think about Rolex. Think about high-end premium products. They are not cheap. And they're not cheap for a reason, because they have inherent value in them. And as soon as you early on start to discount, you're telling your prospect, hey, this thing's actually works worth less. It's worth less. So and I knew lower, lower urgency, lower urgency <laughs> than it being at a higher, higher price, not cost. Investment, investments match impact. So you're creating this cognitive dissonance. If you're saying this is going to help you say X or drive Y in your business and it costs this much and it's actually going to cost less now. Yeah. And that was a big unlock for me. Yeah. I, again, I think you, when we say that we're going to discount, at the end of a deal, uh, there should be something, some level of give in order to get that discount over the line, right? If you're not getting anything for the discount, it's a concession, not a discount. I think that's Anthony Ian Arino. Um, all right, let's get this question from anonymous attendee. Thank you, anonymous, from for asking this question. Ross, does this apply for startups, or is this all enterprise tips that you're giving? Do you think this stuff is for everybody? 
Yeah, humans talking to humans. Uh, I was at Strike from 200 to 3,000 people, and I'm at a cord from zero of us to 15, and it's just how sales and people work. Um, I think it's harder to do as a startup, and I think we give ourselves excuses to not do some of these things yeah. because you're going up against people that have you know, developed products for a long time. It's hard to have that confidence. But again, very similar to the price, you're, you're selling yourself short. And I think that's, that's taken me a while uh, to learn and have that confidence in terms of, you know, people are reaching out, people want to buy these things, we're building a unique thing in the market and they'll pay for it. And I think that, that startups make a lot of excuses for why they don't ask for more and typically price themselves too low or don't go to the most senior people because we're a startup. Yeah. Price is often a place where urgency can be uncovered, but it's also a bargaining chip, I think, for a lot of buyers. John, in our quick Q&A here, says, looking at this from the opposite perspective, when a buyer reaches out and wants that urgent price, the team members get all wide-eyed and they see the dollar amounts flashing and they get real excited and start skipping the qualifying stages. You talked about this when we were getting this stuff ready. You were like, oh, they get so excited, they skip all the steps, and then the leaders start asking, well, where is this going? And they end up saying shit like, oh, no, I, it was going so well, I didn't feel like I needed to ask that question. How common is this, and what's the cost associated with it? I do it all the time. Yeah, I do it all the time. Because you want to be a good partner to your customer, you want to be where they are, and there's a way to do that without messing up the deal. And it's to say, you know, James, you reach out, blah, blah, blah. And on our first call, maybe we don't do it. Maybe we don't do a full deep dive demo. Maybe we do a deck and we show you a few screenshots that we get the right people in the room. It's like, hey, James, happy to meet you where you're at. It sounds like you guys are ready to make a decision, blah, blah, blah. Happy to send over pricing, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, let's let's validate that we're the right fit. And I don't want to I don't want to waste your time. So you gotta how how do you rephrase, how do you reframe the thing for that? To be like, I'm going to send you this thing. I want to make sure it makes sense. Mm. Let me ask you a few questions to quickly qualify. Then just then it's going to spark a conversation, right? Hey, uh, are you just are you just reaching out to us, or are you, have you done a process with two or three other people? Maybe they now then you're about to send over pricing without a call, without a conversation with other stakeholders because they've gone through a sales process with three other people. You think they're going to buy? No chance. Um, so hey. Maybe we're not, we look at this as a partnership. And if you've already talked to two or three other people and you've gone through a process with them and you're just double checking the price, like, hey, we roughly cost between 10 or 20,000 for, you know, three or five users. Yeah. I, you know, happy to send you over something, but like, this is not going to be, if you really, if you're focused on these problems and these are the customers that are using us for that versus them, let's dig in. And you really need to, all goes back to disqualify, having the confidence to ask those hard questions. Um, and why, why are they asking for that? You're, you're curious. Hey, I, I do this job every day. I've been here for three years. This has happened to me five times and zero of the times that this person has decided to be forward with us because we look at this as a partnership and need to be aligned on all these things, talking to multiple people. I'd love for you to buy us tomorrow and I send out this proposal, but chances are it's not going to happen. Let, you know, and be on, they're going to be like, this guy's awesome. I'm going to share. You know, I'm going to share my feedback out because they're meeting where they're having a real human conversation. So there's a connection there that they're after has sellers and buyers and the buyers want to feel like their seller is invested in their success. 
and the seller wants to feel like they're invested in them as a provider, and that relationship must exist. Urgency is not always required, but it sure does help that relationship blossom. Uh, Mariano, this is a great question. How do you determine whether you should create urgency or slow down? I will answer it very quickly. Stop trying to create it and start asking questions that uncover, reveal, and help you to drive urgency. Yes. That is more effective than trying to create urgency where there is none. Real quick, Ross, tell people where they can connect with you. Um, easiest to connect on LinkedIn, share a bunch of uh, top sales tips about all the stuff that we're talking about today. Thank you for sharing um, that there. And if you're curious about some of this other stuff and what I'm working on at Accord, feel free to check that out as well. Amazing, man. We want to thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom. And thank you to you, the folks that come out and invest in yourself and learn with our people. Thank you for investing in yourself and taking the steps to make yourself a top performer. Get out there every day and help people solve problems. That's your focus. That's the thing that you should be doing with all of your time. I hope you guys have a stellar day. Connect with us on social. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's a lot of fun right now. And I will see you guys tomorrow with Adrian when we talk more about marketing and sales alignment. See you guys. Have a great day.